Welcome to Your Next Chapter, the podcast dedicated to providing you with the game changers and experts to tackle the next chapter of your life. Whether you want to start a business, pivot in your career, or get in the best shape of your life, I provide the guests to draw tactics, insight, and inspiration from to conquer your next chapter. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. In front of me, I have Michael Muscari. We are in his RV van parked out in Venice Beach, California. We are doing our first ever van episode. He is my first returning guest, and so I am really excited to have him here on the podcast again to pick up where we left off. Last time we talked about having uh, intimate conversations and relationships, and so we're going to kind of talk to Mike a little bit about what's changed the last time he's been on here and uh, go from there. Mike, first off, what inspired you to pick up, Van- leave Vancouver, and pack your life into a van and move out onto the road? Good question, Phil. Uh, well, <laughs> um, I went through a breakup with um, my girlfriend at the time, Crystal, and um, just deciding what I wanted to do and how I wanted to live life, I uh, realized that I had kind of lost parts of myself in the relationship at times, and I wanted to refine those parts of myself. So I decided that going on a journey um, across country would be a fun way to do that and to spend a lot of time on my own introspectively journeying within myself. Um, And so I decided that uh, buying an RV, small RV, would be a fun way to do that. And yeah, I've been living out of the RV now for just over four and a half months. Nice. And I do want to clarify, Mike didn't have to live in RV. He runs an online business, so he kind of chose to do this thing, a choice that he made. So it's definitely a voluntary thing that he's put himself on this journey. And I do want to ask, like, when you say you lost parts of yourself, what do you mean by that? Elaborate a little bit more what you lost in yourself and what you were looking for when you came on this trip. Yeah, I think um, in relationship for me, I tend to try and be a people pleaser, and I try, tend to um, tend to really be sensitive to what my partner needs, and um, sometimes giving up a little bit of what I need um, for that person, and. To put this in context, too, uh, my partner didn't ask me for these things. These are the things that I did, you know, that I unconsciously a lot of the time would do. And so some of the things that I'm talking about is just my sense of enjoyment and the everyday aspects of life, doing things that I really enjoy to do, um, honoring myself by doing those things. So... Um, I love going on adventures, clearly. (laughs) This is a big adventure. Um, But when I was in partnership, a lot of times, if my partner couldn't go on the adventure with me, I wouldn't go because I felt um, almost as if it wasn't fair if I went and she couldn't go. I I would make myself feel guilty about that. And so this was a way to reset a lot of those kind of belief patterns that I have created in relationship. And um, so there's a lot of just getting realigned with yourself, kind of getting back out and really connecting with yourself more. Exactly, exactly. 
getting to know myself better is a really good way of putting it. Um, Wouldn't you say, like, you know, people like you're 31, right? Yes. You know, people just assume by this age you would know yourself. So why <laughs> is that something that, like, and I, you know, I'm a firm believer that, you know, we're constantly evolving and growing, and you kind of have to keep finding yourself again and again. But for some people, it's like, well, don't you know yourself by 31? Like, how would you respond to that kind of objection? Well, I... I guess a lot of times I, I have thought I've known myself, and I guess what you, you also said is we're constantly evolving, we're constantly recreating who we are and newer versions of ourselves. Um, but I would say that I never really took the time to intimately know myself, to really understand what it is about certain things that I like to do that make those activities enjoyable for me like the quality of this activity or the quality of an interaction with a person I didn't understand the subtleties of why I really liked those activities so I'll give you an example um, I've been surfing a lot over the last uh, four months and I really enjoy surfing and there's so many parts of surfing that I enjoy I enjoy the struggle uh, it's a hard sport to learn and I enjoy being out in nature and being out on the waves and just, just connecting with nature, being out on the water. I enjoy getting up and riding the wave, the thrill of being on the wave and getting out in front of the wave. And that's like this adrenaline uh, kind of hit that I get that I really enjoy. So there are different aspects, like subtle qualities to the things that I do that really turn me on, that I really excite myself with. And like I've been mentioning to you, I feel alive when I do these things. And so I've been getting to know those parts of myself better, finding the subtleties um, in each thing that I enjoy to do. And actually in partnership, a lot of times uh, I've had partners ask me, well, what is it you like? You know, what, you know, what could I do that really pleases you? What do you like? And I wouldn't really have a good answer. And those are things I've been exploring as well, trying to really tune in to the subtleties of what I like about human interaction and, and what people do for me that I really make myself feel good with. Um, and so I've been, I've been focusing in on those things daily and trying to pay more and more attention to myself. And that's how I'm getting to know myself better. And I don't know if I should have done this already or not, you know. <laughs> I guess it'd be great if it happened in my early 20s, but uh, I don't it's think it's late, ever too right? late. Yeah, exactly. it's better to do it than not do it at all, right? I'm sure a lot of people keep living and don't really have any clear answers for themselves. And they never go on this journey. And I feel lately when I moved back to Toronto and I left my corporate job it's the same thing I'm kind of on this journey to find things out about myself and that's why I've been building this podcast and interviewing people because I want to learn about the same things I feel your pain your struggle and I am curious to know like what subtleties can you give an example to the audience about some things that you have learned about yourself that you previously didn't know on this trip well I would say um, one of the, one of the biggest um, realizations is that I've, I've uh, repressed a lot of sadness. I've never allowed myself to really be okay with feeling sad or experiencing sadness. 
a lot of times if I was ever in a position where something went wrong and I felt sad, it was very easy to get over that sadness with people. So I'd hang out with my friends or, you know, a girlfriend or, or whatever, whoever, and we'd go do something that was fun, go out, you know, any activity, go out for a drink, go out for a meal, whatever it might be. And that was an easy way to get through sadness. It was just bypassing it. I never really sat there and felt it. But being alone um, the majority of the time in this journey so far, <laughs> I've had a lot of time to just sit and be completely present with my sadness. So going through a breakup um, with a person who I care a ton about, um, there's a lot of sadness there, a lot to work through, and I've kind of felt that some of that sadness was surface level sadness, and I worked through that surface level sadness, and then that brought up a deeper sadness that um, was just all this repression from years and years of not dealing with little things that have stacked up, you know, and turned into like I said, just repressed sadness. So I would say that's one of the biggest realizations for me of uh, a part of myself that I've discovered that has been neglected. And I'd like to dig into that a little bit deeper if you're comfortable yeah, with that. Definitely. One thing I know that you mentioned to me, um, I'm curious to know how you've been able to facilitate feeling that sadness. I know you talked a bit about using this technique where I believe you grounded up magical mushrooms and you use them to kind of help, you know, I guess connect with your emotions and so I want to know a little bit more if that was one of the techniques first let's start with the technique like what really allowed you to kind of connect with that sentence what was your main thing that you found really helped you to connect with that emotion mm -hmm. I've been doing a few things so yes um, what you were talking about the magical mushrooms uh, I've been doing a microdosing regimen which I'll get into here in just a second um, just had a little bit of beeping going on yeah. so we kind of had some interruptions so yeah. Mike kind of uh, lost his train of thought but yeah. basically going back to I'm curious to know how you know what really facilitated you to connect with those feelings of sadness and you're just talking a bit about the micro dosing you're talking about that so what really worked for you to really connect with those emotions that you had suppressed for so long because we have these feelings and it's hard to bring them up again and how did you find them is what I really want to know right okay so one of the main things I did, um, I used um, a tool from Ken Wilber um, to work with shadow repression, and it's called the 3-2-1 method, and I, I did that a lot, and so the idea is when I would feel sad or feel any emotion for that matter that may be a repressed emotion, um, I would take time to talk to that part of myself. I would take time to feel what it feels like in that part of myself instead of looking for something to escape out of that part of myself so, so when you felt that emotion you really just connected with it and kind of as opposed to moving on to it and distracting yourself you really sat with it exactly and and not only sat with it but also asked that part of myself questions so okay Mike why do you feel sad right now what's going on what are your thoughts what's causing you to feel this sadness well, and I'm is lonely. this three, two, one method with the microdosing, or no? Um, I would do this with the microdosing as well. Um, okay, so you're doing without microdosing. But but yeah, okay. exactly. So the um, 
the microdosing itself, just to touch on that to give more context, um, I actually followed the advice of the Psychedelics Explorer's Guide, which is a book that I read, and um, they basically say in that book to microdose, you take one-tenth of the normal dosage of a psychedelic substance. I chose uh, magical mushrooms, but uh, they reference uh, LSD a lot. The idea is you're taking about a tenth of a normal dose and you do that once every three days. So day one, you take the dose first thing in the morning, empty stomach, um, and just allow you know the magical mushrooms to do their work and to bring things to the surface. And and so that was where I would really pay attention. So I would journal each day how I was feeling. So day one, I take the dose. What emotions came up for me? What was I feeling throughout the day? Were there any um, thoughts or any realizations that were profound? And if so, I made sure to take note of those. And then day two, no dose, but the substance technically is still active in the system. So again, noticing the same things. Any, any realizations for the day? How were my emotions that day? Um, you know, just where was I overall? How was I feeling? And then same thing for day three except you, you don't dose, but now this, the substance is not in the system any longer. And so it's just me. So now I'm just perceiving my feelings completely without the substance acting in the system at all. And then you repeat that process. And I did that for about a month and a half. Um, so certain days, yes, I would be doing the microdosing and using the Ken Wilber 321 uh, method. And then other days, you know, I wouldn't be dosing. Right. So. And when you weren't dosing, talk a little bit more about the three, two, one method then kind of, because obviously everyone's not going to go down a microdosing path and do psychedelics, but what was that three, two, one method? And I can definitely get some information in the show notes for people as well, but talk a little bit about how that journey was for you and how you connected with that sadness for yourself. Sure. The, the three, two, one method is, is really just a conscious way to take a look at oneself and not judge and not label things as good or bad but just get to know ourselves better by asking ourselves questions so so the idea with the three two one is you start out in third person perspective and then you would move your questions to a second person perspective and then you'd move your questions to a first person perspective so this is a conversation going on between me and myself which sounds a little bit strange I'm sure but the the idea is if you have a repressed part of you that hasn't gotten attention this is a way to give that part of you a voice and to integrate that part of you back uh, into you know your being right. and not label it as bad and stuff it down in this dark closet and hide it away but say you know what I have flaws I have quirks I have problems and you know, maybe it's sadness right now, or maybe it's anger for another person, but, you know, I can embrace those parts of me and just get to understand them better. And as I got to understand, you know, my sadness, which we keep referencing, over time it just slowly disappeared, and I just started feeling happier and happier and more and more like myself again. Um, which and was do great. you feel now you can connect with more of your emotions? Do you feel more emotionally in tune with yourself? Definitely. Um, 
by going through this journey and by feeling some of these really painful <laughs> feelings of aloneness, you know, there were moments where I thought, like, man, you've made a really bad decision buying this van, going out on your own, and, like, you know, living this crazy life compared to the life I lived. Um, but by going through that, I have learned so much about myself, and I feel much stronger also, and, and more in tune with, as I mentioned, you know, things that I like and things that I don't like, and, you know, what qualities in people um, that trigger emotions within me, and I'm, I'm, I would say I'm just more finely in tune with those triggers and understanding myself better. And um, also making commitments to do things that I love to do each day that make me happy, that make my life worth living, um, and how important that is for me. You know, I, I think it's easy to get in a rut where we just keep doing the same thing every day, day in, day out. You get up, you eat breakfast, you feed the dog, you, you go to work, you know, kiss, kiss your partner on the way out the door or something like that, and then you get home and have another little pattern, and, and it just goes day after day after day like that. And so what I've been really trying to focus in on in this fine-tuning of emotions is, like, what events throughout the day caused me to feel really alive? When did I feel amped up? When did I feel just like, man, life is worth living? Um, well, you've mentioned to me you're writing a blog post, and I guess the motto is, do one thing every day that makes you feel alive and I've really resonated with that and I feel like that's a great way to live and so yeah if you want to talk a little more about that like it sounds like you're challenging yourself to yeah make your heart race you know make yeah. go after a little bit more and so talk a little more about what that's because it seems like it's surfaced from this trip and what you've learned about yourself yeah um yeah I made this agreement with myself this year to do one thing every day that makes me feel alive and I reference surfing, and that's like an easy one because I feel very alive when I surf. But also, everyday activities um, make me feel alive if I pay attention. And so, even like an argument with my ex would make me feel really alive. Like at times, you know, when we just weren't seeing eye to eye on certain things, we could have this conversation that could be painful or it could be angering or whatever. Uh, was going on but I would feel what was going on in my body and I would feel my heart racing and I would at the end of that call or at the end of this discussion I would be like wow I'm alive I'm living right now like I'm feeling my feelings I'm feeling the emotion um, I, I do prefer however of course to do something like surf or go rock climbing you know if I'm out bouldering and I'm working on a new problem and you know, you reach the crux of the problem and get through it or don't get through it. It's the same. I, I feel this racing in my heart. And at the end, you know, when I'm back on the ground, a lot of times I take this big breath in and just this relief, this, ah, like, man, that was great. Like, today is a good day. I did something awesome for myself. I did something that makes me feel really good. And that's, that's the preferable way for me to feel alive, but I'll, you know, I'll take what comes my way. And so, I don't know if that fully answers your question or not. It does. It's a very profound way to live, and I think, you know, I resonate with that where when we do things that challenge us or we kind of take on things that we don't think are possible, that makes you feel like you've really accomplished something for the day and you feel like you've lived in that day as opposed to just gone through the pattern and the repetition. And so 
it really speaks to challenging yourself and having that growth mindset as opposed to just being stagnant in one place again and again. Yeah. And I've also learned to be content, too. Um, I've always um, fancied myself an achiever, I guess, and always striving to be more and to being better, um, more successful, more this, more that, always more. And I've been really focusing in on just being content. Like, I, I've just found happiness and love for myself and that... I'm a good person and I do my best and I find comfort now in just being happy that I've done my best for the day. Uh, not necessarily striving to be more, you know, I'm allowing myself to be enough with who I am. Um, I, can, I can use another surfing reference which is like learning to surf, there's so many great surfers out there and it's very easy to make unfair comparisons because some of these guys have been surfing and, and ladies have been surfing for their whole life, you know, 20 years and I'm out there four months in wanting to compare myself to these people They're like, oh, I'm not good, you know, my surfing sucks, blah, 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 whatever this, this negative dialogue is, so I've taken this approach of like, Hey, today I just want to have fun I just want to enjoy myself out on the waves I just want to get out there and exercise and exhaust my body and feel like I've done my best toward riding the waves today and let that be enough for me not having to want to be the best person on the waves or as good as other people just just doing my best and actually believing that not just saying it I think I've said that a lot like well if we just all do our best you know I'm sure a lot of us have done that, but deep down, my best was never good enough, and now I'm allowing my best to be good enough. To be happy with it. Exactly. I do want to move on to the van a little bit and talk a bit about that, but any last things you want to share with the audience about the emotional journey and what you learned about yourself? Switch topics here. Yeah, another little saying that I've, I've been living by these past few months is... Um, go get lost and find yourself and so this will be a good segue into the van but you know I've been really solo on this trip the majority of the time and I don't think I ever realized how important spending time alone uh, is and just going getting lost in places that I've never been before and allowing those experiences to drive and direct um, me finding myself. And so a lot of this journey has been unscripted. There's not like, oh, I'm going here and then I'm going there and then I'm, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, no plans. It was just, okay, I want to go somewhere warm. You know, I want to go where there's water. Okay, I'm going to go to the West Coast. I'm going to start in San Diego and see what I like, you know, and just explore. And so I've kind of allowed the trip to dictate in certain ways where I end up and what I do and who I meet and not trying to force things. So I've really been loving that, you know, just go get lost and find yourself because that's what's been happening for me. Well, what really struck a chord when we met with you on Friday and today's Monday, so we've been together for four days now, is that 
yeah, the first thing you said is just great to be around people again. And you felt so, like, alone. And it kind of dwelled on me. It's like, wow, you've been out in a van for four months. And, yeah, you've interacted with people, but you haven't really... And you've had your dog, Deer, but really, like, you haven't been around that many people. And so that really surprised me, right? Because I never thought about that going into it. But, yeah, when you're on a trip like this, you are going to be pretty solo on it. And I'm sure it's had an impact on you. Definitely. Yeah. I would say that has been the hardest part. And probably where the most growth has come from because um, I've always been a very social person. I've always had a lot of people around, uh, lots of friends. Um, and I don't think I've actually lived alone since, I don't know, maybe like 2004. So it's been a long time. It's been like over 10 years where I've had roommates or I've lived with a partner. Um, so I really have not spent this much time alone um, in a long time. And yeah, it was very profoundly impacting and very painful at times to think, like, I just don't have anybody, you know? And I, of course, friends are always there, like, call me anytime you need to talk, or, you know, we'll Skype or FaceTime, whatever. But there's a real quality to actual human interaction that does not happen virtually and well it's in our dna to meet people right so when you don't have human connection it's uh you're depriving yourself of one of our most fundamental needs right and i will stress meaningful human connection because you know i've i definitely have met a lot of people and i go out to restaurants and cafes and and you know whatever i meet a lot of people but i wouldn't say most of those interactions were very meaningful some were um but not a whole lot and so it really, I've really come to appreciate the people that are close to me. Um, there, there are probably a couple handfuls of people between Vancouver and my hometown in New Mexico that are really close to me, that have been really impactful and helpful in my life, and that I care for very deeply, and they care for me very deeply. And those are the people that I would think about the most. You know, those are the interactions that I miss the most. And uh, really come to appreciate how valuable that is, uh, how valuable these people are. That's yeah. an important realization. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, I think we all know probably a lot of people, but there's probably a core group you know, a lot of people may say your tribe or something like that, but this core group that really know you, that really get you, that you can really be yourself around and just feel okay. Like, they don't care. They're like, I love you. You're you. And, um, yeah, I've missed that. So this weekend, <laughs> reuniting with some of these people has been amazing. It's been super fun. Yeah, it's been a blast. Let's talk a bit about the van and what you got here. It's an RV van, so we're looking at it. We're in the back of it right now. But tell the audience a bit what you got in your setup and how you've been able to pull this off. Yeah, um, I have a. It's a Road Trek 170. It's an 18 foot van that is self contained, meaning um, it has an electrical system, it has a propane gas system for the stove and refrigerator. I actually put solar panels on the van to charge the batteries so I have power off-grid anywhere I go. 
which actually fuels another goal of mine, which is being more sustainable and living more sustainably. So I produce all my own power with the solar panels. Um, and I'm very uh, conscientious with my water use because this van, it does have a full wet plumbing system, um, but I'm very limited on my capacity of how much water I could carry around. The van also has um, you know, a full-size bed, a couple closets, and a very small bathroom and shower. So it's it's set up, you know, like a micro apartment, you know? <laughs> it's fully loaded. I'm actually pretty impressed with it, I'm not going to lie. When you said you are going to go live in a van, I didn't really know what to expect, but an <laughs> RV van, but it's definitely uh, a lot, you know, better than I thought it was going to be, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Um... When I tell people I live in a van, you know, everyone assumes I think the worst that it's like, oh man, you must be really on hard times <laughs> or, or something like along those lines. And that's another realization that I've had during the journey is how much we make up stories about other people. Um, and I didn't, you know, this realization, this is something I knew, but this made it really real because I, I'll meet new people and I'll tell them what I'm doing. Oh, well, I live in this van. And they're like, oh, kind of like, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, and then they'll get to know me in a little, little bit. And there was a story. I met this woman, and this kind of happened. And she's like, oh, so you don't have to live in a van? Because I was telling her about my business and what I do. And I'm like, no, I don't have to live in a van. I don't like doing it by choice. So I've just learned a lot about people are constantly making up stories about other people and we don't actually know the facts you know they're just perceptions and um, it's it's actually helped me to be less judgmental of, of all kinds of people people around me people I just met you know um, homeless people on the street that you see talking to themselves I've actually had a number of conversations with people on the street and some of them actually have really profound things to say and you know they just need someone to listen to them and someone to give them that opportunity and to just not label them crazy so I've learned a lot about perceptions and how I have judged other people unfairly and how people are constantly making up stories you know let's talk a bit about your business because we didn't really get into this last time on the podcast so you run a nutrient supplement company Tell me how that all began because basically it's a web-based business from my understanding. Mm -hmm. It allows you to, you know, you work from a computer, but obviously as long as you have a Wi-Fi connection, you can work. Talk a bit more about your business and how it fuels your lifestyle and the way and what you're doing right now. Yeah. Um, I own a uh, line of dietary supplements called NanoNutra. And I started about five years ago now in the supplement world and I started because I was taking a green supplement uh, sold by a multi-level marketing company and I really liked the product um, I just felt good taking it and I was always trying to just give it to other people I wasn't trying to sell it I was just like you should try this it's really good you know feel really good taking a lot of energy this that and the other and people would try it and they hated it because it tasted basically like grass and you had to mix it in water and it stuck to the glass and so on and so that just got me to thinking I was like well what if I could reformulate something like this and make it easy for people to, to cut out all of their excuses of why they, they don't want to take it and so I just decided to do it so I started doing research and looking for manufacturers and 
I had a um, proprietary blend created, this green supplement, and um, built a website and started pushing, you know, some like PPC traffic and Facebook ads and things of that sort and had very mediocre success. And then I um, started learning about Amazon and selling on Amazon and I focused a lot of energy and effort on Amazon. And I really got to understand the back end of Amazon and how Amazon works. And my product got ranking and selling really well on Amazon. And then sales on the website continually got better and better. And then as my business grew, I started um, looking for other supplements, which got me into the newer line that I have now, which is NanoNutra. And um, NanoNutra uses liposomal technology for advanced delivery of the nutrients. So it's just a more advanced form of delivery, getting more of the nutrient into the bloodstream. And so I run my business, like you said, from anywhere I basically have a cell phone signal now. My phone tethers to my computer. Uh, so I use my phone's basically LTE, you know, internet connection, connect to my computer and do my day's work from really anywhere that I'm at. And um, it's pretty awesome. It's, uh, funded this whole venture and um, I am I'm always super grateful that I have this business it's uh, it's an amazing blessing in my life which has allowed me to do a lot of the personal growth work that I've done a lot of the retreats that I've gone on it's all because you know my business has afforded me that ability how were you able to find people to I guess you had to source it to create your supplements Talk a bit about that process because there are obviously challenges as an entrepreneur. Where were you able to find these people to create your supplements? Um, well, I just started looking for resources um, on the internet is where I started and I just started um, calling manufacturers. But I used um, websites like thomasnet.com. Um, I've been on alibaba.com, you know, looking at manufacturers. That's how I originally started. And then, of course, after I started learning, then you see there's, you know, expos and conventions where all the larger manufacturers have booths and, and um, representation. And I also just started asking people that might know that we're in business of how to find different manufacturers. And then what I did was just start sending out introductory emails saying like, hey, I'm, I'm looking to do this. You know, can we get in a call and discuss it and see if it, it might be a possibility? Um, so it's just one step at a time. But, you know, the Internet's a super powerful tool, as everybody knows. And you can find basically anything um, just by doing some Google searches, looking for professional manufacturers. I know you're a bit of a Tim Ferriss fan. This sounds a little bit like a four-hour, you know, job-type business. Was that an impact or an influence on what you created at all? Definitely. Yeah, Tim Ferriss is one of my greatest mentors that I haven't yet met. Um, uh, definitely. I've, I would say I've probably, I'm an audiobook guy, so I've probably listened to Four Hour Work Week on audiobook probably at least 20 times, I would imagine. Wow. Um, he, is it one of your Bibles? Isn't it? You, you, so you basically go to it again, to it again, to reinforce ideas and kind of... Exactly, because he gives a lot of resources, um, and I have the kind of updated, expanded version where he, he goes through all the case studies and similar, um, just extra bits that weren't in the first book. 
And yeah, so I would just kind of make bookmark notes of important parts. And then as I got to that part uh, in my business, I'd go back and re-listen to that chapter or, or that part of the book to get those resources aligned and see what Tim was doing and how he was solving certain problems. And really funny is toward the end of the book, uh, the greatest problem of all is once you create this time freedom in your life and you're like, well, what do I do with myself? Um, that's a hard one to deal with and a hard one to let go of for me. So programmed to like, oh, I need to be working hard eight hours a day. You know, you start at eight, you go home at five kind of mentality or you, you know, you work because you have to work. And um, it's been the biggest challenge has actually been getting over the fact that I have more free time and that I can fill that free time with things that are important to me. But yeah, Tim has been a huge mentor in my life for sure. And where have you gone? We're in Venice Beach, California right now. We're parked outside of some nice mansions. It's you know, <laughs> a beautiful little place. But where have you gone down the West Coast? Where have you explored? Well, I picked up the van in Arizona and then I took it to my hometown of Rio Rancho, New Mexico uh, for the holidays and spent that time with my family and got the van ready, doing some upgrades and the bed and you know the solar system and other parts. Um, and then I journeyed down south in New Mexico and checked out White Sands, New Mexico, which is a national park, really beautiful, like multi-million or billion-year-old ocean bed that uh, is now just beautiful white desert sand. And that was my very first van journey, which was amazing. And I actually met on that trip two other van lifers that were around similar age, both on their maiden van voyages. So it was a really strange synchronicity that the three of us would meet. And so we all camped out for a couple of days together and uh, shared. But then from there, I headed uh, into Arizona and I went to several places, Flagstaff, Sedona, the Grand Canyon, um, Tucson. Um, I went through Phoenix, I didn't really, you know, it's not my town, Phoenix, but went through Phoenix as well. And then I headed onto the West Coast, and as I mentioned, surfing so many times already, but I really just wanted to be out in the water surfing, and so I, was like, okay, I'm going to go to San Diego, it's warm, they have waves, and so I, I pulled into San Diego, I think on a Sunday afternoon, and I was kind of in the downtown Mission Beach area, and I was there for about a day, and I was like, wow, this is really busy and stressful, and I was like, this isn't the place for me, and I just started heading north up the coast, and um, started hitting kind of all the little beach towns. Um, in all the different surf spots. So I've stayed in a handful of towns in San Diego, especially. Um, Solana Beach, I've spent a lot of time in Solana Beach, Encinitas, Lucadia, um, Cardiff, Carlsbad, um, Ocean Beach. You've done a good job of getting around. Yeah, I've been kind of all over. And then I've been up to the LA area where we are now a couple times and gone to Hermosa Beach, Huntington Beach, Dana Point. Um, so really all the, the beach hotspots looking for a good surf and um, a lot of times I'm, I'm looking for 
vacant surf where there's not a, you know a huge herd of surfers um, so yeah that's it's where I've been and then I will be heading uh, up the coast um, all the way to Vancouver in the next few weeks so be checking out a lot of spots along the way but just hugging the coastline all the way up to Vancouver and Mike's got I believe a 511 he's got two boards uh, one that attaches to the back and one that's inside and the other one's a 78 I believe in your bike so you really had to uh, you have some good accessories here for yourself you definitely <laughs> didn't cut back on that yeah the toys you know I mean the the bike is actually a good mention and I mentioned sustainability but I have um, an electric bicycle and anyone looking for a better way to commute, uh, I highly recommend an electric bicycle. So the bicycle is pedal assist, um, which makes pedaling really easy. So going up a big hill is just like riding on a flat. So if you're commuting to work and you don't want to get super sweaty or you have a, a, a distance to go, um, the e-bike makes life extraordinary. And so. I uh, charge my e-bike right through the solar system, so everything is like provided for by the solar, which is really awesome for me. We gotta start wrapping up because we gotta get to Mantox here in a little bit, but a couple questions quickly to wrap up. Sure. I know at one point you're driving the highway and you had a tire blow it at 70 miles an hour. Talk yeah. a bit about, yeah. about that experience. Actually, I want twice. Twice. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I bought this van and it had new tires on it, new-ish tires, like Treadwear Life, really good. Um, I was driving from White Sands and I was uh, in some small town, I don't even remember, in Arizona. And uh, yeah, the van just started shaking, this crazy shaking. And all of a sudden the tire blew out, huge explosion. And um, yeah, I did my best to like put the brakes on quite, I slammed on the brakes really a little too much and, and went into a little bit of a slide. and pulled off the road thankfully uh, but it was an adrenaline pumping moment and um, how terrified were you when that like did you feel like you're gonna skid out of control like do you recall what that was like for you I wasn't terrified but it was definitely nerve-wracking because this van is high and quite it feels top-heavy to me I don't know that it really is or not but it was I was super concerned like man maybe I'm gonna roll over you know which was really my biggest concern and fear and um, thankfully I did not. Um, thankfully you're still here to do this podcast. Well, well yeah, exactly. And what's interesting is um, I like uh, the musician MC Yogi. I uh, first heard him at Wonderlust in uh, Whistler. And I was listening to MC Yogi, this song, Only Love Is Real. And it was really profound because I did stay very calm. And like even when I got out, I was happy I was like well it's just a bump in the road you know it's like this sucks and I gotta deal with this and put a spare tire on and everything else but I, I remained kind of calm about it and I remained in good spirits and I was just singing the, the only love is real lyrics to myself and actually it was quite amazing because not long after I blew the tire uh, um, a border patrol officer came up and stopped and helped me change the tire and block the car off because I'm on the side of the highway. And I mentioned I had a second blowout, same situation, which I had apparently faulty tires that they wouldn't warranty, but that's okay. Um, second blowout, same situation happened. Um, and I, it's probably midnight 
I was heading to Joshua Tree to go rock climbing and um, blow up this tire. And again, maybe 10 minutes or five minutes after it happened, uh, this is a service at the California State Highway Department. This tow truck pulls up behind me and asks me if everything's okay. And I tell him again, oh, I just blew this tire out and I need to change it. It's dark. And he's like, oh, I'll do it for you. This is a free service part of California. So I was like, really blessed to have these people help me and to come so quickly. I didn't even have to call anybody. I felt like amazingly blessed and fortunate. So even though I saw like, okay, this isn't the best situation and now I'm gonna buy a new set of tires for my van, these people came and just helped me. And they didn't even have to really, you know, especially the border patrol officer. He didn't have to help me at all. He could have just kept on going. So I felt super blessed in a hard time and remained positive, but it was definitely scary both times. And my dog was super freaked out. He did not like that. <laughs> Hey everyone, so I had some technical difficulties at the end there with Mike's podcast, so what I've had to do is just grab him on Skype, and we've uh, gone over the end, so here we go. I got Mike here on Skype as we had a bit of technical difficulties with the podcast there near the end, and so luckily for us, we're going to get to recap a bit more of his journey. He's uh, gone from Los Angeles now to Vancouver, so Mike, thank you for taking time to uh, sit down and re-record the end of this podcast, and start off by telling everyone a little bit more about that journey last time we spoke we were in your van in venice beach and you were leaving the next day to drive up to vancouver so tell me a little bit more about that oh yeah man the uh the journey back up the coast was great i um i journeyed up actually with my friend connor we uh we sort of mapped out a handful of places we wanted to go but basically just let the people of our trip that we encountered kind of dictate where we went and where we didn't go so we just kind of decided to ask people for ideas of beautiful places to go see and good places to surf and eat and um, really tried to allow uh, the guidance of the people that we ran into to dictate the course of our trip and it was a blast so um, cruised all up through Northern California uh, surfed in some super cold water in Oregon and <laughs> um, had a lot of windy days so the surf wasn't that great unfortunately but um, a bunch of amazing days lots of beautiful places to see on the Oregon coast on the Northern California coast very windy roads up through uh, you know that part of part of the yeah. coast and so I've driven it before, twisty and yeah, not the fastest road, but if you're doing the scenic route, it's exactly. a fun way to do it. So we just uh, kind of moved at a slow pace and stopped at random tiny little towns and met some very random people as well and, uh, you know, went to the Redwood National Forest and really enjoyed our time in Big Sur, California. I mean, man, that must have been one of the most beautiful places I think I've been. Was that the most, I was going to ask you, what was the most beautiful place you came along? Yeah, your yeah. we were at this little waterfall in Big Sur, and oh man, it was really just a epic place to be. Um, but it's hard to, it's hard to say, because there are so many diverse, beautiful places that we've been. Um, we stayed the night at a free camping spot in Coos Bay, Oregon, just like right on the coast which is a very small little 
town in Oregon, and I mean, that was just an amazingly beautiful place, and actually decided to do a little bit of a mushroom journey there on the beach, and uh, it's pretty amazing, so maybe that, that yeah, maybe that, you know, also happened to uh, skew my perspective on beauty, but uh, it's a great place. Um, fortunately, we didn't run into any uh, problems or roadblocks, so things went really well, really smooth. We took about two weeks from L.A. to Vancouver, and uh, my dog was a bit bit unsettled, but other than that, it was a really good, good trip up the coast. I highly recommend uh, taking as much time as you can and just cruising up the coastline and just seeing how amazingly beautiful the ocean is and the cliffs and the rocks and the trees and everything that comes along with it and just connecting with that uh, part of nature that most of us don't actually take time to enjoy it's so easy to jump on the interstate or the freeway and just bypass all the beauty awesome glad to hear that you had a great trip there for anyone that wants to uh, jump into the van life, what resources would you recommend for them? That's one of the questions that got cut out from the podcast. What would you recommend for them to yeah, get started? I, I do think, actually, uh, that Instagram is a good resource. I would have not probably said this a couple of years ago, but um, Instagram, there are a bunch of people that are utilizing like the hashtag van life. There's van life diaries. There are just several van life hashtags and, and um, Instagram feeds of people that are showcasing, you know, people that are living the van life and what they're doing. And so you can kind of stretch your imagination by seeing what other people are doing and how they're doing it and also just finding tips and resources um, as to where they're uh, going and, you know, what their, their setups look like, their van setups or rigs look like and, um, you could get a lot of information there. Um, in terms of like buying a van, um, there are some some good sites. There's like RVTrader.com, which is a great source to find used RVs all over, you know, the U.S. and Canada. Um, that's actually how I found my van. It was on RV Trader and um, also Craigslist, of course, if you're looking for something more local. But in terms of once you're, yeah. you know, set up with a rig and you're on the road, there's um, a couple sites that are useful, which is uh, if you were just to Google search free campsites, I think the site is freecampsites.net, and it um, is like a user-based feed um, with a GPS map of places you can park out and camp for free, including like rest like highway reps, rest stops and certain things that allow for overnight camping. So that was really an invaluable tool when moving a lot, uh, like place to place, a different place every day. It's like, oh, man, where are we going to stay today? And, um, you know, you could always rent a campsite for the most part, but, you know, if you're trying to save on cash and don't want to be spending, you know, 20 to $50 a night to camp out somewhere, use this resource and find free places to stay and you know you can also stay in neighborhoods and things of that sort but uh, if you're looking to do things a little bit more securely that's a good site um other resources there are like 
also a free dump site, um, like sanitary dump sites. So if your V has like a toilet on board and you need to dump the water tanks, you know, there are um, sites um, dedicated to offering you those resources. So same thing if you just Google RV dump sites, how that matches and have input, you know, it was, but went out for long periods of time. Um, but I would say those are the main resources that I've been using. There are also um, several blog sites out there of people that are living in life, and um, um, which happens to be the, the brand of my van, Roshak. They have a great site with a lot of resources and done, you know, their customers' experience with the products and uh, just their experience. And they Sorry, everyone, for that technical little interruption. They're trying to make this quality as good as possible. All right, and yeah, so last little resources there. You were saying, um, go on about that. Um, yeah, Road Trek. Uh, I think it's RoadTrek.com. There, that's the brand that my van actually is. But they have a lot of user-based forums and uh, resources on their website and they also do like gatherings where people that have road tracks or different vans all get together and kind of have a van summit you know and talk about their experiences I have not yet been to one but uh, plan to do that in the future cool. I will uh, look up all those resources and I have I uh, can't find you I'll, I'll talk to you about them and I'll link them all in the podcast notes so people can find them if they are curious about getting into the van life they're going to have a lot of good places to start from it sounds like yeah for sure for cool. sure and if people want to reach out to you and ask you any questions about your experience or maybe some questions about fan life uh, what's the best way to contact you yeah I would just say find me on Facebook uh, it's under Michael Muscari just go ahead and send me a friend request and a private message and uh, I will do my best to get back to you in a timely manner cool and if people want to find some more information about your supplements that you carry where can they find some info about that um, my website is nanonutrausa.com so n-a-n-o-n-u-t-r-a-u-s-a.com and uh, all the products can also be found on Amazon if you just search nanonutra yeah cool well thanks Mike for your time appreciate you jumping back on uh, Skype to wrap up this podcast and giving an update on how the trip went thank you so much for your time today yeah, likewise. Thanks for having me. Cheers, man. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, my two-part conversation with Mike. Part one from Venice Beach, California, and his van. Part two over Skype. Early on the podcast, Mike talked about how he went on the journey down the West Coast because he had lost parts of himself in his relationship. I identified with that so much. In life, there's always going to be times when we lose parts of ourselves, and there's no shame in being lost. Whether we're just lost a little bit or lost a lot, that's the reality of life. And it doesn't matter how young or old we are or what social status we're in, there are going to be times when we lose parts of ourselves, and we're going to have to go on a journey to rediscover that. The worst thing we can do is not go on that journey. So I praise Mike for doing what he did, and he gave himself a huge amount of time to go down the coast and really figure some things out for himself. I hope you guys enjoyed this as much as I did. If you did, I ask that you share with one person or somebody else. It would mean so much to me. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and I look forward to having you as a guest on your next chapter next time.